if you're a retailer, a travel and hospitality brand, if you're in those spaces, first party data is a natural. You own the relationship with that customer and you absolutely have to double and triple down on the technology and the strategy and the capabilities that you have in-house to, to collect, curate, activate that data, right? Build your segmentations, be smarter about it. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. I'm thrilled today to have our guest, Aaron Fetters, on the show. Aaron is CEO and Managing Partners at Transparent Partners. Uh, Aaron, welcome. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Thank you so much for having uh, having me, Jason. appreciate being here. Uh, yeah, I, so I work with Transparent Partners today. We are a boutique consulting, marketing consultancy based here in Chicago. We focus largely on the, anything data-driven marketing with our clients. So it's really all about data, technology, people, and process for us. My personal background is I've got uh, 17 years in, in the, on the brand side. I was working in large CPG companies and followed by several years then as a as a provider of, of services back to the brands at uh, companies like Comscore, as well as um, early stage startups like Truthset. So happy to to bring everything, all my experience here to Transparent and get to work with um, interesting partners every day on the, on the brand side. Great. And thanks for that, Aaron. Uh, and for our listeners in the show, uh, Simon Data has been uh, your partner, partners with Transparent. They do a lot of the, uh, the data integration, sort of marketing, you know, technology integration and, and strategy work as well you know, for many of our you know, bigger enterprise customers in particular. Uh, Aaron and I were, were catching up uh, the other day and we were talking about some of the trends around marketing attribution. Uh, you know, in this day of age, it's more critical than ever yeah. uh, you know, that marketers, you know, not just spend their, their money wisely, but are incredibly thoughtful around the ROI, you know, and, and how that, that money is put to use uh, around their, you know, for their brand dollars, for their direct response dollars. And one of the biggest trends that you know, is happening in the category is, is around something called clean rooms. And there's probably few people who are more you know, experienced or knowledgeable with clean rooms than, than Aaron, you know, and that's, you know, really is what brings us to the big question of today's show. Uh, you know, what are clean rooms? You know, and how is this, you know, and how do they you know, function as, as an important vehicle in a macro today, you know, that really forces marketers to be more thoughtful and more specific and measured than ever before, you know, in determining the ROI of their ad spend and their ad dollars and their, you know, general paid strategy. You know, so, so Aaron, before we try to answer that question directly, maybe we can talk a bit about your background and, and your yeah. journey. To, yeah, I know you, you mentioned you had some experience, you know, you know in CPG context. Maybe talk start there and then talk about how this you know, how this brought you to clean rooms. Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Jason. So I guess I consider myself pretty lucky. I, I got to spend the early part of my career at uh, both Procter and Gamble, and then followed by the Kellogg Company. So two blue chip, you know, um, hundred year plus marketers, uh, where you you have the opportunity to really experience a little bit of everything in the world of marketing. And I just so happened to be there in those places during the period of what we now call digital transformation, right? The early days of how our how big brands going to begin using the internet and data and, um, you know, really transforming the way that they advertise and market to consumers. And my particular focus over time 
uh, became a lot on the measurement side of things, right? So um, I come from an engineering background. So uh, I got into this whole world of digital marketing, but I also had more of that engineering mentality of data and measurement. And how are we going to know if all this investment that we're beginning to make is is paying out for the brands? And how are we going to optimize that investment over time? So it was really interesting from a big brand marketer's point of view, you know, all the conversation as in the early days of the internet is, isn't this a wonderful thing? It's it's so much more measurable than traditional media. So we're going to be able to understand the performance of our marketing better than ever before. And I'm not sure that that was ever really the case or true, right? From a big brand marketer's perspective, it was still very challenging. And and the reality is it was actually maybe uh, had the potential to be more confusing than ever before when you looked at metrics. And why do I say that? Um, you know, it was because largely there were more, there's more data available to, to marketers as, as the web took off and all the different ways of investing there uh, came to life. But a lot of that data was really distracting from a brand marketer's uh, perspective, right? You, I'm sure at Simon Data, you work with a lot of performance marketers. And I want to talk about that, that, that dichotomy between brand marketing, performance marketing. But as a brand marketer, uh, something like click-through rates in the early days of collecting all this data it really wasn't that informative because it didn't really tell you if your your brand message was reaching the audience you cared about, was breaking through, was having the intended impact. So while there was more data, it could also be more confusing, right? And so what I found to be the fascinating part of my job in those, those early years, Jason, was helping the brands to figure out what do we really pay attention to? What, what data makes sense? What is indicative of the outcomes, the business outcomes we as as PNG or Kellogg want to achieve. I remember I, I kind of had a, a breakthrough moment when I introduced the organization to the concept of money ball for marketing, because I tried to draw the analogy that if you know the the story and concept of money ball as applied to to baseball with the, the Oakland Athletics back in uh, you know the 90s, 2000s, the idea was that you you started to look at statistics that were actually more predictive of team success versus statistics that historically uh, were believed to be relevant and important. And if we were to do that with digital marketing as a big brand builder, we're going to be make smarter choices in where we place our investments and how we optimize that. Right. So we began to put, a, that's where I think you uh, saw some of the, the early focus of market mix modeling as uh, an attribution capability, a way to attribute value to your marketing investment. And I, I always said that market mix modeling is a great resource and tool for understanding what happened with your investment, but it wasn't a great tool for why was that happening. And so we were looking for other pieces of information to augment along with mix modeling. Maybe that's survey-based results where we run surveys, we understand breakthrough, we understand purchase intent, things like that. And maybe then it was behavioral tracking. So we, you know, again, a little bit earlier days of the internet, you know, people were more comfortable uh, collecting behavioral data and tracking consumers across domains and across sites and using that to draw inferences as to who they likely were, what their behaviors were, what, what sites they went to and how all that fits in your, your segmentation models, right? So those were the early days as I think back on, uh, you know, the digital transformation for big brands and what it meant for measurement. That's a lot of what we focused on in that time. And, you know, as you know, a lot has changed since then. 
Yeah, maybe we can sort of really just start as simply as possible. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure many of our listeners today are familiar with Google Analytics, and uh, you know, I <laughs> yeah. always like to use this uh, as, as as sort of a, a baseline because it's really been popularized in a way to promote the efficacy of Google Search. Uh, I guess tomorrow I'm looking to buy some, uh, you know, some flowers. An ad is right there. I click through. I buy the flowers. You know, you know, five minutes later, and as an advertiser, you can look at that funnel and you can see that you paid five bucks for the ad and you sold. You, you, you someone bought the flowers for seventy five dollars. You can look in that in aggregate. You can measure your conversion rate, and you can very quickly and easily understand you know, your return on ad spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe using that as a baseline that I'm sure every one of our listeners understands. You know, how are cleanrooms different? Um, you know, both from a measurement perspective and also a data perspective. And, uh, and yeah. why not just use Google Analytics for everything? Yeah, well, great question. First of all, Jason, thank you for reminding me that I do need to go do a search and um, place an order for some flowers for tomorrow. That was going to that was slip right by me. But uh, how is that different? How is it the same? It's a great example. I think you use of Google Analytics, which is providing some of those most basic metrics to advertisers, right? Exactly. As you say, I, I, I put an investment into search. I can see exactly what happens with that search advertising. I could see the, the clicks, I can see the traffic, and I can do some some form of a customer journey analysis to understand, all right, you know, where, how did a consumer get to me and take the action that I'm intending for them to take once they're at my property, on my site. Um, that's the ideal scenario. I think that works really well when you're a single stack um, marketing channel like Google, right? The, your, the example is a, a very single stack channel where I place the ad with Google. Google's running the analytics. There's no concerns with privacy and data exchanges there. It's a very simple, straightforward passage of data. What changed and what, um, you know, as we start to talk about the concept of clean rooms, I think some of the things that changed in the advertising landscape in the last couple of years, right, are privacy concerns. It's become much more prevalent now that uh, brands understand, number one, put regulation to the side for, for a moment. We can talk about regulation that that's hitting us all, but just the consumer's expectation of privacy of maintaining and treating me with some level of respect and, and maintaining that privacy that led to as as you know apple taking taking action to eliminate across site tracking and and google announcing that they're going to deprecate third party cookies hasn't happened yet but they've certainly been minimized in the ecosystem and as those changes occurred largely again driven by the need for privacy and rightfully so the need for privacy some of the options available to marketers to better understand that full path to purchase, that consumer journey. How did the consumer get to me? How did they make that choice? Those start, you you start having major gaps in, in that analysis, a lot of holes to try to fill in and better understand because I just can't see the full picture anymore as I used to be able to do. I can remember the days when uh, our different advertising technologies and properties were very comfortable passing log files back and forth to one another, almost unbridled. And and that was, if you look back on that now, we would say, oh my God, there's no way we would ever do that today. Um, but in the past, we were able to do that. So I think that changing landscape as it relates to privacy and the protection of the consumer, uh, consumer's privacy really drove the need for more than just Google Analytics, for more than you know just seeing that somebody showed up on site and that sort of last click attribution of how they got there. There's probably a lot more to the story. Now, again, from a big 
CPG marketer's point of view, it was always challenging, right? Because as you just pointed out, that those Google analytic metrics are are great for sort of lower bottom of the funnel analysis, understanding like someone took the action I want and you know, here's how they got there. For a big CPG marketer, I'm often investing most of my dollars in upper funnel activity. I'm just trying to drive awareness of the brand. The lower funnel activity, more likely to happen offline still. Now that's all changing. We can, we'll get to sort of the digitization of all things commerce, but largely they always had that gap of knowledge, right? There was always that gap of knowledge. And then as, as, as I said, this landscape shift in obfuscation of, of identity and, and privacy protection really created even more gaps, I think, without, without solutions right away to, to help fill those in. Yeah, no, and I think that's really one of the biggest takeaways that I see from my perspective is, well, Google Analytics is great for that bottom of the funnel, you know, yep. last few steps to convert. You know, people buy Google Analytics and you know, it converts to booking hotel rooms. But guess what? You know, before booking that hotel, that individual, I can assure you, spent hours, weeks, and maybe Absolutely. months preparing for their trip. Reading mm-hmm. content, you know, looking at options for airfare, looking at options for you know what they might want to go and see, looking at alternatives. Uh, you know, and clean rooms open up an opportunity to get a much broader view into that customer journey, uh, right. and a view that starts upstream and upper funnel and mid and mid funnel in a way that you know your last click Google Analytics would not provide. See, and I, and I kind of see um, what I observed take place, Jason, is as the privacy the regulations took took hold. You had California's privacy law, and today we have five new states bringing privacy laws into effect this year. All of that creates a lot of confusion. But what I saw occur is from you, you saw the downfall of DMPs. I'll call it number one. What, the first thing I saw was DMPs sort of went away almost quietly in the night. If you remember all the big data management platforms, those were largely constructed to help a- marketers aggregate anonymous user data to a large extent, right? I could tag, I could tag my site. I could put tags on my ads that went out across the internet and I could be uh, receiving pieces of data of, of people who were exposed to my ads and I could start to bring that together. That was the data management platform. Well, once we limited how much data is uh, passing hands, so to speak, in a you know non-privacy protecting way, the DMPs, we saw a very quick you know, downfall of the DMPs. And we saw the rise of, I would say, two things. CDPs on one hand, which is more about your known audience, and data clean rooms on the other, which is seeking to be a solution, right, to allow an anonymized commingling and collaboration of data so that I can continue to augment what I do know with what I don't know through collaboration, either between marketer and media property or marketer retailer, marketer and other, other data provider, so to speak, right? So I think it was really interesting, those, those landscape shifts driving that downfall of DMPs, the rise of CDP and clean room with two different but related use cases, I would say, right? A hundred percent. And maybe we can talk on top of this, there's an entire dimension of first-party data strategy. Yeah, yes. maybe you can talk about yeah, yeah, look, because a CDP, a DMP, all these technologies are only as good as the data that's inside of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and you know, yeah, a big part of the trend, you know, isn't just access to upper and middle funnel, it's also uh you know, technology limitations from third-party cookies that are changing as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so maybe you can talk about 
you know, I don't know if there are any specific examples you can bring to light, yeah. uh, you know, but you know, talk about, you know, how to build an effective first party data strategy, maybe, you know, overlay this, overlay this with some effective, you know, clean room examples where, uh, you know, CDP or DMP, you know, or Snowflake for that matter, enabled, yeah. you know, the clean room analysis. Uh, yeah. But ultimately, you know, the, the first the, the first party data was what sort of facilitated the analysis. Maybe you can talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, let's talk about the first party data strategy and then just generally the use cases of why clean rooms have now taken off, you know, from a use case perspective, right? So you're absolutely right. I think every brand in the last five years have heard it, not, uh, you know, ad nauseum. You need a first party data strategy. You need a better first party data strategy. You need more first party data. Uh, they've heard this given the deprecation of cookies that were coming and the, the need to have a more one-to-one relationship with their customers and be able to better personalize the messaging that they put in front of their customers. So there's been this big focus. If you're a retailer, a travel and hospitality brand, uh, you know, if you're in those spaces, first-party data is a natural. You own the relationship with that customer and you absolutely have to double and triple down on the technology and the strategy and the capabilities that you have in-house to, to collect, curate, activate that data, right? Build your segmentations, um, be smarter about it. If you are a CPG, I'll go back, you likely didn't have a lot of first-party data. And so you saw a lot of people scrambling, I think, to figure out what is my first-party data strategy. And that's where CDPs obviously um, have taken taken hold and, and really grown quickly in the last several years both with, with, you know, sort of the, those who own the consumer relationship and those who even don't. But if you don't own the consumer relationship, then it was about how do I get more intelligence? And I think that's where some of the use cases of clean rooms started to present themselves, right? Is, uh, you know, if you do have first party data, great. We, we want to allow you a, a means by which to share that, but it still preserves privacy. That's great. But I think the the more immediate use case that several brands jumped onto. And again, I think this largely comes out of the CPGs arena where they don't own that much first-party data. There was the use case for measurement. That's the first one, right? And the promise was, well, first of all, let's 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 level set a little bit, Jason, on clean rooms. What what is a clean room even? What does that even mean? And you know, what what brands are we talking about when we say clean room? See, I think one of the first clean room examples to to make itself widely known is was Google Ads Data Hub. When Google, you know, basically said, all right, no longer are we going to pass back one-to-one like some individual row of data that has a an identifier of some sort on it. We're going to begin to aggregate what you know and learn about your campaign data and your your performance data. They did that in what they call Ads Data Hub. By essence, that Ads Data Hub is a, is a clean room, and so it was an opportunity for brands to either bring data in and have it matched and commingled for the purposes of activation, but also extract data out. Right. So now I can now as a marketer, I can extract out campaign insights from Google Ads Data Hub, and I can. On one hand, I I no longer have access to that very, very granular, like this individual saw this ad and took this action. I have rather this grouping, this this cohort, if you will, of individuals were exposed to an ad and they tended to take these actions. And what's interesting is I can 
simultaneously as a marketer, I have a little less information, but a whole lot more, right? So I have less if I were, if I were, if I had gone deep into multi-touch attribution models where I'm really trying to do that one-to-one exposed action. Well, I don't have that, but ads data hub, Amazon's marketing cloud, Facebook meta, meta's clean room capability. They all offer marketers truly like hundreds of columns of attributes on your campaign data, right? So all of a sudden, I now have measurement options as a marketer that I never really had. Uh, I can start to do a lot more analysis and go a lot deeper and, and more broad on wh- what's happening, who's who's being exposed, how are they responding in terms of, again, not, not, a, not an individual, but in a grouping. Um, and maybe I'm identifying insights that I didn't realize uh, were true prior to being able to go to this level of detail, right? So measurement really became like the first big use case of a clean room. But again, I want to be clear, it's intra-channel, uh, I'll call it, right? So I can understand better what happened with my Google ad buy, with my Amazon ad buy, with my meta ad buy, with my retail media network ad buy. Uh, which is the the big you know uh, popular uh, place to spend your money today is with retail media networks, and I can use the clean rooms to extract more data, but I have to be able to do the analysis at a different level than I ever would have done in the past. I have to know what to query, what sets of data, and I have to know what kind of analysis I want to perform. So it does create some new challenges for big marketers who maybe don't have that capability in house, just right waiting to apply to to the clean rooms, you know. A hundred percent. And I think you know, we could probably have a, a whole another episode around applications of the clean rooms outside of just measurement. Absolutely. Well, the other then the other pieces I guess I will throw in, Jason, are better understanding my audience and again looking for the overlap of audiences. So again, I'll go back to the downfall of DMPs. The one of the original promises of DMPs is your Kellogg's and you want to know how well does your audience saturate at the Weather Channel, New York Times, and uh, various media properties. Well, DMPs were a way to do that when cookies were more prevalent, third-party cookies. Now, if I want to do that, I need to do that through a clean room environment, but I can I can do it. I'm just doing it one property at a time, essentially, right? I'm understanding how well does my audience overlap with parts of Google, with parts of Amazon, with, with Kroger, with Albertsons, who are now offering these retail media networks. It is an opportunity for me to take my first party data and go in and find audience overlap for augment audience intelligence. So, you know, I go back, I spent a long time at Comscore. Comscore was once the, you know, sort of the default audience uh, metrics solution for our any any internet based uh, buys, media buys. Well, we were pretty limited by, you know, just demographic attributes. We we knew demographics quite well across the web, but today marketers want to know, well, I want to know what my specific audience is heavy on your property. I want to know what else do you know about my audience that I don't? And that's where clean rooms are offering, are offering a way for brands and media partners to, to create those insights and better understand audience and then go straight into activation if that's what they choose to do. Yep. No, that, that's great. So, you know, final question, everyone's favorite question, Eric, Aaron, if you were to, if you were to sit down and have this conversation with anyone in the world, uh, you know, you know, who would it be and why? 
Uh, you know, I knew you were going to go there and it's interesting. I'm I, for a while. I thought, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to give you my easy answer, Jason. My easy answer is I'd go back and have it with the CEO of PNG, where I spent the early part of my career. And why do I say that? Uh, I think number one, I still respect, um, PNG tremendously as, uh, being leaders in the advertising space, figuring some of this stuff out well ahead of the curve. Um, but I'm fascinated right now by this convergence that we're seeing of traditional brand marketing, brand building activity and performance marketing activity. And that's where I think, you know, the, the, the concept of CDP to help me understand my known audiences and how they perform and then clean rooms for how, where, when I want to do brand building activity and I need to reach a, a, a relevant audience and the segments I care about, those things are starting to come together all the way from, you know, the technologies, but also the organization. And I'd love like PNG, they're a historic, amazing brand builder, but now they're starting to think about performance. Now, if I'm going to invest truly hundreds of millions of dollars in media into retail media networks, that's a performance media environment. And that's a different type of set of metrics and KPIs for a historical brand builder. Um, and it should all be based on a common data architecture and infrastructure, right? And so I think there's just a lot of emerging opportunity when you look at the technology and the data that's that, that's now available and what's possible. What brands are probably most uh, behind the curve on are people in process, having the right people in process in place to make it all happen. Yeah, I always tell everyone of our customers that technology is only as good as how you use it. 100% on that one. Uh, well, Aaron, thank you for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Really, when I reflect on this conversation, I think we really just touched the surface of where uh, where things are going to go. And uh, it really does represent sort of a nexus uh, across you know, technology enablement and also broader macroeconomic you know, trends as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I know we, you know, at Simon Data, we do a lot with Snowflake and, and they're making big bets around clean rooms as being the, you know, the first party uh, data conduit with their cloud data platform to affect a lot of these use cases. Um, you know, but to your point, the, the notions around what clean rooms have, you know, you know, can do and should do have been around for a long, long time, you know, starting with basic audience insights, you know, that, that, that so many technologies of the past have delivered at some, 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 some varying degrees of success or, or lack thereof. So, you know, really, really excited to, you know, see where uh, everything unfolds this year. Uh, you know, we should do a, another episode around the same topic, uh, maybe next February and reflect uh, around, uh, you know, how much of, of what we talked about here actually really came to fruition and, and became popularized in a way that isn't today. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Know, it'll be a very interesting year. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting times. I think uh, we are constantly um, excited to talk to our client partners about all this stuff because it is something new every day right now. Great, Aaron. Uh, and um, you know, if, for any of our listeners who want to learn more about Transparent Partners, you know, how, how do they find you? Well, you can find us at transparent.partners on online and they, we our LinkedIn profile as well. Pretty, pretty straightforward with Transparent Partners. We'll also be at uh, out and about at some of the various um, industry events here in the, in the weeks and months ahead. So we would love to, to speak to anyone who's challenged with their consumer data architecture strategy, people and process. Great. And thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked. 
You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.